Hi, I'm Liz Cully, and welcome back to Cool, Cool, Cool. Each week, I give you a glimpse into what I think is cool and chat with a ton of people that are definitely cool. No topic is off bounds unless, I guess, it's not cool. Welcome to Cool, Cool, Cool. Buckle up and pour yourself a glass or maybe even half a bottle of wine because, friends, this is a long episode. This episode, which kicks off my Pride series, even though, let's be honest, this show is kind of gay all year long, as it should be, could have been a full two plus hours. The full interviews are on my Patreon because they're awesome and I loved them. And each of them was about an hour long. Um, But like, let's be honest, nobody's really, nobody's driving for two hours. So head on over there if you want to listen to more. But I love this episode and I love wine. I love it. I love the practice of making it. I love the whole vineyard vibes. I love how wine changes food. I love the way it smells. Um, Wine just makes things so much better. Only 17% of winemakers in the world are female. Of that 17%, I happen to be interviewing two queer female founders today. First up is Kristen, who is the co-founder of Nomadica Wines here in Los Angeles. I was given a can, yes, a can, and we'll get into that more later. Um, I was given a can of her wine in a gift bag. I was hesitant. I'm not going to lie. I'm prejudiced against wine in a can, which I'm not anymore because the wine was delicious and the label was gorgeous. And I learned a little bit more about Kristen, and I'm so excited that she joins us today. She has such a unique perspective. And what I love about these two guests is they come from the wine world from two totally different angles. After Kristen, I connect with um, an old acquaintance of mine, Krista, who is running her own vineyard in northern, northern Vermont and creating really interesting organic sparkling wines under her label, Zaffa. Over 65% of wine drinkers are female. And listen, I am pretty shitty at math, but what all of these numbers are telling me is that women are mostly consuming, buying, and drinking wine. However, it's men that are making it for them. And we got to have more women in wine. It just makes sense. Now, when you take even that 17% of female identifying winemakers I already kind of threw out there, the queer segment is even smaller. I couldn't find any data on it. But when you Google LGBTQIA plus people in wine, there are a couple of lists from different outlets, you know, like Eater, Bon Appetit. And there's only like six or seven people on that list. So I'm really excited for you to hear from these two people today. You want me to blow your mind on our parallel lives? You ready? I'm scared. (laughs) I went to boarding school in Northampton, Massachusetts and spent every single weekend of my life in Amherst because my boyfriend went to Amherst College. I also took classes at UMass because I was like really good at music. And I also had, there's, they have a, an ear, nose and like speech pathology, yeah, like a big thing there. And I was a part of a study 
because my vocal cords kept seizing up and they thought it was because of singing I was singing at the time, but it was actually because of trauma. And they like hooked me up to all these machines. I don't really remember it because unfortunately I did this really cool thing where I blacked out like a majority of my life because of trauma, but I know that this happened. So, and I ate like Pinocchio's pizza and all that bullshit in Amherst. Yep, I know, blowing your mind. I'm born and raised from San Francisco, worked at Bix, worked at, well, Gary Danko too. I worked at Catonia. Um, and then when I came down to Los Angeles, I worked for John and Vinny. So you and I have the like East Coast, San Francisco food. And then here in LA, I never worked at Mocha, but my homie Ryan was the chef de cuisine at Chispaca with my homie Greer. Greer is my sweet little baby angel oh who God. I used to drive to school when she was 16 and she was an oyster shucker in the fucking restaurant um, on uh, third. I'm obsessed with Greer. She has the best tattoos of anyone I know. She's so hot. She literally so had to drive her to her home and be like, hi, I'm like in my 20s with your like 16 year old daughter. And now yeah. she's a vintage car model. Yeah. Flesh influencer oyster influencer wait this is crazy how do we have so many parallel paths and I'm this just is how i roll and I then krista was the same i don't know if i met her in san francisco i don't know where i met her like who knows our lives are like this do you North die massachusetts though you got my heart with that one are you from massachusetts i'm from so i'm from east long meadow and which you know very close to northampton very different cultural environment. But whenever anyone asks me like how I did so many things in life or like, how was I, you know, the first person in my family to go to college and blah, blah, blah. Because I was very active on live journal in high school and was friends with all these Smith girls. And Mm, it all comes back to Smith. Smith girls will get you into trouble. They certainly did, but they also they like helped me apply to college. They helped edit my college applications. They were like, you need to do X, Y, and Z for extracurriculars. Like, yo, it's honestly that lesbian connect is just amazing. If you ever read the original book, Orange is the New Black. I've never read it. What? Oh my God. It's so good. It's actually much better than the show. The show is like a little trite and a little weird. I didn't love the show. I didn't love the show. Okay. I actually 10 out of 10 recommend reading the book because- You went to UMass um, Amherst. She goes to Smith and then her girlfriend who kind of gets her into all of the trouble like is in Northampton. Like you will like it. You'll like it. It's random. And I almost went to Smith, but I got a full ride to UMass. So I was like, I like dated a girl at Smith when I was in college. This is just. I'm obsessed. I did not date any girls at Smith. During my time in Northampton, I was. Not really like out. I, I don't, I think I was bisexual. I was kind of like hooking up with friends here and there when we would get fucked up and like go to people's houses for the weekend. But I had a boyfriend. He was so much older than I was. He was a senior. I dated him his junior and senior year at Amherst during my junior and senior year of high school, which oh. I believe is not legal. Um, Yeah, he was very attractive. Um, Quarterback of the football team. Nigerian from Nigeria. <laughs> Just the first step to uh, lesbianism. Anyway, <laughs> I um, I think the word wino has gotten a really negative connotation 
in life or that's how I perceive it. But I'm trying to reclaim it. And I would say I'm a full-fledged wino. As I've gotten older, I can't really drink hard alcohol anymore. I worked in craft cocktails for so long to the point where like, I almost can't drink a craft cocktail now, um, having made so many syrups and using bitters and tinctures and all this other bullshittery. Um, do you consider yourself a wino? What a great question that I've never been asked before. Yes, 100%. Um, I don't drink as much as I used to, but I pretty much exclusively drink wine. What about like if we're at an airport? Wine. What's yeah. But like, what are you ordering at the airport? Um, usually, hopefully, I'm in an airport lounge. Right. And but I what if like, you're not? What if you're rocking up to like Margaritaville in Houston, Texas at the airport? You know what? Then I'm getting a martini. Oh. I deviate. Yeah. Or if they have Whispering Angel, I will drink a glass of Whispering Angel. It's a solid. It's like an easy breezy. Yeah, it's fine. I'm happy with it. Even if I have to pay $25, like the last time I was in the Hamptons, I was like, wow, they are really making their margins on this Jesus, wine. Um, Jesus Christ. But it's it's a big wine company, but it's decent. It's not that bad. I'll no, it's not that bad. I'll like fuck around with some Whispering Angel in, a, in an airport. Um, I've always been very intimidated by what I understand is the education that goes into becoming a psalm. I think a lot of people, similarly to how many folks these days on TikTok are like self-proclaimed therapists or psychiatrists, I think many people who enjoy wine or are either proclaimed or not proclaimed winos believe themselves to be psalms. But from my experience working in fine dining, it is a fuck ton of education and it takes a really long time. Can you explain the process of becoming a psalm to me? Yeah, absolutely. So I took my sommelier exams after I had been a sommelier and wine director for many years. So I took my level ones and level twos like back to back the same week, um, which were basically like, here's an overview of wine in every single country and French wine law and Italian wine law, German wine law, California wine law. If something says it's Chablis, what does that mean about the sapage, the grapes that are in it. Does that, what does that say about how the wine was made? Oak usage or no oak usage, et cetera. And so you basically have to know that for a million different regions, um, all the major geographies, mountains, rivers, uh, diurnal the lakes that we're used to. Just kidding. I had to. It's I had just... to throw in the TLC <laughs> reference. I'm so I sorry. Can see the wheels turning behind your eyes when I said that. <laughs> I and you're like, I had to do it. Okay. And then so you started to, and where were you working as a SOM when you were taking those tests and a wine director? So I kind of had the best gig ever for a few years of my life. I was bi-coastal. So I was a sommelier at this restaurant in Nantucket, which is this little island off the coast of Massachusetts. Tons of rich people go there. I got basically a crash course in like the best fine wine ever because it was sense. like these wine guests that were also like really rich and really drunk who drink half a bottle of their first growth Bordeaux and then give it to me. A dream. Oh, which yes. I have to tell you many times at Bix that happened to me. And it was just... 
I was so poor. I was so yep. fucking poor at that time. Yeah, you like take it home in your bag. You like put the cork in it and you're like, I'm going to savor this at home. I'm going to pour no, it in. My little psycho ass would drink it to the face because I had to get on the fucking one California and go all the way from financial all the way to the beach. And I'd be like, yo, I got to be sort of lit on this. Some of the most traumatic experiences of my life have happened on the one. <laughs> I have one particular one, which I don't know if it's so disgusting to tell, but I'm going to. I mean, I've had traumatic experiences on the Muni that I will not hijack this interview to tell. But one of them on the one California, I was going to work and there was a man in the back of the bus and he was picking out all of his chin hairs with nail clippers and then clipping his toenails oh. in like in like a fucking cyclical way. <laughs> and I just sat there and was just like, dude. And actually, again, fun fact, it's when we all just had iPad or iPods and I had craft, I had this iPod and it had every song because I had gone to music school in New York and it was the most amazing, it was like the brick iPod. And I was so horrified. I never will forget that memory because I left it somewhere that I, that is the day I lost my, that iPod. It's all seared in my memory from San Francisco. But anyway. It had to go. Your your eyes saw that site and it was like, and it was I just like, I can't, I can't ever. It's, it's true. So you yeah. were, okay. So you were bi-coastal in Nantucket and then in San Francisco. In the winter seasons, I was in Palm Springs, actually. So I was running this restaurant group. Very interesting. Very different clientele. Oof. Yeah. Wow. That's right. Yeah. It was a steakhouse, Italian restaurant, breakfast joint, catering company, several hotels. I was just doing it because I was, you know, 25 and wanted the experience. Of course. And not a bad gig to go between Nantucket and Palm Springs. No, not at all. And so I took my psalm test at like the Laguna Beach Montage. Also, not a bad location. No, I was like, is this California? Is this Southern California? Like, yeah. Rich Again, rich people. You were just toggling between rich on rich on rich. A hundred percent. I was, I didn't even know. I was like living in a shed in Nantucket, but drinking, you know, Premier Crew White Burgundy. So. Oh not my God. Bad. What a dream. Okay. So. How long, so I guess did you just, I always, always in the, under the assumption you had to like go to France or do something, but you don't, you just have to really study it and take the tests here. Yes. And I had prepared quite extensively for the blind tasting component, which is always like my fun party trick. So we've all seen it, right? Psalms who stick their nose into a glass and taste it. And they're like, this is 2018, Grand Cru Chablis. Mm -hmm. um, so th that part is really fun. And I think I'm a great blind taster. Are you? Cool. You are I'm definitely coming to my house and doing that. That's what our dinner party will be. <laughs> I Deal. can't wait. So Deal. then you came to Los Angeles as we all migrated south from San Francisco. And you started working for one of my favorite restaurants ever, Moza, which is so classic. Like Nancy Silverton, I've had the pleasure of sitting at the mozzarella bar with Nancy there. And was, it's like being celebrity vibes. Do you know what I mean? It's big celebrity vibes there. I've also, you know, I've worked at Saison in San Francisco and at Husk in Nashville and Sons and Daughters. And I've never sold, in terms of dollar value of wine, anything like Moza. Yeah, for sure. It's just 
the ability and we as psalms got to taste every bottle we opened so to just develop that palate memory amazing yeah i'm still like in love with margot robbie she was my best and favorite wine client ever there she's the nicest human oh my god i love that yeah um so when you know going back to being winos you know, we've all watched Sideways. We've all dreamt of Eat, Pray, Love. I don't know the other films that I'm sure evoke the same sort of romanticism and escapism that we all would love to just like drop it all and, and go with our create. I wouldn't even call it a vice. Turn our passions into our um, everyday life. Right. But going into the wine industry is like no fucking joke. That's like not something in my opinion, I mean, from what I know, even though I would have to say, like, I feel like my friends make it not look easy, but effortless. I mean, what you've created is looks so amazing. And we'll get into the specifics in a second. But like, what's when is the moment when you're like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to make a wine company. Like, what did that where was that? Was it just a thought? Was it something that was always inside of you that you wanted to do? Was it something that you saw missing in the market that you wanted to kind of take over? Yeah, it really always bothered me how the only people who ever wanted to talk to me about wine were 55 plus year old men. Um, right. Always white, almost always thought I was the hostess instead of the sommelier who would call me sweetie. And people my age, particularly women, we're always like kind of intimidated thinking I'm going to like judge them or judge their pronunciation. And then also my friends, just my, my non-industry friends always drink really shitty wine. And I'm like, you guys, the world doesn't have to be like this. Like, no. you know, and then all of a sudden, the second I became a sommelier, people are texting me photos of wine menus and texting me pictures at the grocery store. Like what wine do I buy? And it just seems so overwhelming. So I just wanted to make a company that made wine accessible and interesting and actually spoke to people in the language they use instead of talking about acid profiles and body and tannin and obscure tasting notes and also made it like this exclusive boys club. Right. Make it accessible and also sustainable. Because when I found out how bad glass bottles were for the environment, I was pretty horrified. I recycle mine. Is that all we can do? Is that Doesn't still bad? Matter. This is what's so fucked up. Only 25% of, oh, sorry, maybe I shouldn't curse, bleep it out. Only 25%. Whoa, 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 whoa. This yeah. is cool, cool, cool. This is an explicit podcast. I don't even Curse want the E show. next to my name, but apparently it's just like no matter what kind of content I make, it's explicit. So you're good to go. <laughs> okay, good. So 25% of glasses recycled in the US. The shipping emissions are crazy because it's so heavy. It's highly energy intensive to produce and wine does not need to be in glass. Well, it's so funny because so my father's from New Zealand and I remember years and years ago when we would get like a Marlboro or like a, you know, a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand and they were using twist caps and that was so faux pas. Do you remember that kind of when people are like, oh, it's cheap wine if it has a screw top. And I'm like, no, I think it's like better for the fucking environment and it's fine. By a lot. It's actually... Here's the hill I'll die on. It's actually better in some cases. So like a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, something that's meant to be drunk young and you want it like very fresh and vibrant. You don't want to age it. A screw cap's mm. better. It's going to preserve that freshness. There you go. 
Okay, so but how like I guess what I'm what I'm so fascinated about is like you know you're so you don't have a vineyard you source multiple grapes of wine. Okay, so yeah, I source from small producers who are making wine who are practicing sustainable farming. So absolutely no synthetic pesticides, no synthetic fertilizers. There are 62 different chemicals legally allowed to be put in your bottle of wine and not disclosed to you on the label. Absolutely none of that in our wine. We work with winemakers we love. Occasionally we'll make blends, but we're like buying already made wine, putting it in our cans, oftentimes selling it for less than they do. Because Mm. not every winemaker is a great marketer, unfortunately. And so making great wine is one thing, bottling and working with a distributor and selling it in the market is another one. What was the first wine you created? I went around to all these famous winemakers and they all laughed in my face and said, can wine will never be a thing. No one will ever drink that. And then this one old school, one of the most famous winemakers from the U.S., Bob Lindquist from Coupe, who Mm. is the original Roan Rangers, which is a group of winemakers in the 1970s and 80s who planted Grenache, Syrah, and Mouved on the Central Coast. Bob claims smuggled the vines back to France. I love Mouved. You seem like you would. Mouved's kind of like a wild card grape. It's like rambunctious and brambly. And I love it. Kind it's of one of my faves. I love it blended in other things too. Like love a good Syrah mm-hmm. move. You know what I mean? Like a little. Okay, a GSM, anyway, a Grenache Syrah Mouved. Yeah, I, I fuck with that. Or as a red. Give it to me either way. I'm happy. I'm into it. Okay, so sorry. Bob has this really famous French Camp Vineyard Syrah. It's one of the oldest plantings. And he was like, yeah, I'll do, I'll make your wine. And we did La Cienega Vineyard Chardonnay, which is a heritage vineyard site, one of the oldest vineyards in California, and then French Camp Vineyard Syrah. And it blew everyone's minds. Why did you do a Chardonnay? So I have a theory that everyone likes Chardonnay and they don't know it. Okay. I will tell you this. (laughs) I have had a few Chardonnays that I really do love, that I really liked. I, for the majority though, have had especially California Chardonnay that makes me want to vomit. Yes. Yes. But also, but also I've had fucking, I typically love a red wine, but I've also had like a lot of rosés that are gnarly. I've had, I've had gnarly wine all across the board. I've had gas station wine. I've been broke. You know what I'm saying? And we're but, winos. You taste a lot of bad wine when yeah, you're a wine. You, correct. Yes. Um, but interesting that you did Chardonnay. That's a risk for a brand new company, I think. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm dumb. Who knows? But I, I feel like it would be a risk. Just we labeled it as white. Mm-hmm. I've had it. I've had it. That's the one I had from that I got, I think, in my little bag. It was. It was I good. Liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And my me. nails matched, remember? And I posted I it. That was me. And that's that's how we fell in love. I can imagine, and from, again, my own experience working in fine dining and, like, quote, hot restaurants, I have felt like it really is a white cis man's world, wine is. How have you, and I know you touched on it a little bit about, you know, working in restaurants and kind of having to, you know, insert yourself in these moments when these guys wouldn't really talk to you, or they would talk to you, and you're like, I'm sick of talking to the same person about wine. 
But do you see, I mean, even more marginalized, you know, black and brown folks that are working in wine, queer folks, women, like, I feel like, do you think that that's changing since you started? Or is it still like there is, I mean, I'm there's always work to be done. But do you think that it's still sort of the same as when you started? I think it's, this is like a slightly depressing take. I think it's only become slightly better. I Got think it. there are more resources for women, like people of color and queer people, like Batonage or Lyft Collective or Co-Fermented. Yeah. Do I think that the gatekeepers and the people running the shows like give a shit? No. Yeah. Um, and I would say it is so difficult to be not a white man in wine. Yeah. I I I can't I can't imagine it's not. And I can't imagine being a woman it's easy either. And I can't imagine being a queer person in wine it's any easier. And I mean, it's interesting because you look at the alcohol industry in general. And for me, I I kind of come from it from an advertising perspective since that's, you know, what I do in my other spare time. I laugh at the word spare or the phrase spare time because that's not a thing um, for me personally. But I think about it in that way. And, you know, we see and maybe more spirits, but you see spirits, you know, doing pride campaigns, sky vodka, Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Like you've seen that. You've seen more women being marketed hard seltzers, which, by the way, I just want everyone listening to hear my words. You're drinking malt liquor, babe. You're drinking old English. I don't know if you're hearing me properly, but White Claw is malt liquor, and that shit will make you homeless. And I just wanted to warn you. Um, sorry. I just I think people think it's like vodka and water. Hey, and I'm like, babe, it's malt I'm liquor. God's word right now, as far as I'm concerned. I'm like, what did you say? I said you're spreading God's word. Oh, right? yeah. But it's smaller. It's like drinking an old English. If you shat on anybody in high school and said they were too hood or whatever for drinking old English, you are drinking old English. Anyway, I will move on. But like hard Topo Chico, all of those things started really going after, I feel like, the queer community, specifically gay white men and women and white women. They're like, this is accessible. This is low calorie. This is for you. Right. But wine it's like still so, I think, focused. It's interesting. It's like, you know, we call it like mom juice. Like there is this marketing angle towards women, but then there are so few women in the industry. We spoke earlier off um, offline about Aleks. A lot of my listeners know about my integration and my longtime friendship with Bev. Like, Alix was a young woman, you know, coming in the industry also with canned wine. Also, they're friends, guys. We can't pit canned wines against each other. Like, Jesus Christ. Different things. But but the fact that even, like, there's two women in canned wine, like, there can only be one. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, there's a million different wine companies. There's also parent wine companies that have a million different wines that are all competing with each other. Each other. But you know what I mean? It's just such a, like... It just seems like alcohol, when they did step out of really going after older white men and including them in the conversation, the only way they really pivoted was to like cis white gay men. 
but also they're the- targeting women so hard. I know. None of these companies are owned by women. I know. That, that is why Alix and I became friends, which I'm so grateful for. And people are just constantly surprised by that fact because everyone, every investor for years tried to get me to speak ill of her or her brand. And I'm like, I'm grateful for her. She's validating the category. She's yeah. proving that a woman can start a wine company and be super successful. Like amazing. I admire her. And there's a lot of women in wine that I take that approach to. I have to admit something to you. Okay. Because it will likely be on this episode. I might take it out. I'm not sure. I haven't started editing yet. Generally speaking, I have found recently <clears throat> I'm I'm re- I'm nervous. I'm sweating. I have found that orange wine is dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, so I need you to tell because I'm going to drink <laughs> your orange wine. I swear to I've just like, yo, if I'm going to have a fucking glass of kombucha, I'm going to have a glass of kombucha. Like, I don't need this wine to be this funky. And I also don't I love like a skin. I love the idea of skin contact. I love all these things. But re- I just think orange wine has gotten to the point in Los Angeles where it's like a Hailey Bieber fucking Erewhon smoothie. I'm like, you guys like. Don't I got it. Me started. Also, I I live on the east side. The amount of times I've gone out to eat at a restaurant here and I've asked for a glass of white wine and they give me a super dirty, funky, brown colored orange wine. And I'm like, this is not white wine. This isn't white wine. I know. I'm so sorry. I just had to be really honest with you. No. I feel like our friendship is just flourishing and I'm not a liar. I'm very honest. I'm a very honest person. One of the many things that I'm just beginning to love about you. I'm just like, yo, and I've had good orange wine. I want to be clear. You're out there, but they're not all created equal. And this is why you're going to love ours. So I feel the same way about orange wine. I've had so many bad ones, but also when I was at Gigi's, I really started noticing that I sold more orange wine than any other color of wine combined. By the well, bus. I could really say some snarky reasons why, but I'm gonna shove. We, we all know. I'm gonna why. shove those down my we, little throat. But so my favorite orange wine is super clean, bright, accessible, actually delicious. Doesn't taste like a shoe rat. And I sent it to my winemakers, and I said, "How do we make a California version of this?" Because this wine, you know, every place I've ever worked, we only get like 12 bottles a year. He's like a cult Italian winemaker and he works with these nuns in this monastery in Lazio, which is where Rome is. It's the perfect orange wine. And we did it. The Whole Foods buyer said that it was one of the best orange wines that they'd ever had in their lives. Okay, fine. I can't wait. I will drink your orange wine. And it's organic. And it's like, we did a little sneak peek of it at Cruel World and just like Heaven Fest. We sold more wine than they've ever sold at a festival before. Yay, that's exciting. Proof that people drink wine when it's good. While listening to like, what, 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 who played at that like Blink-182? What, who was that then? It was kind of basically like that. So the Just Like Heaven was, I'm 35, so it was like all the music I listened to in college. Like MGMT played. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was real that. white people shit. I, super white people, super white people shit. Before, my homegirl, Azalea Banks, who asked for another case of orange wine because I put some in her green room and she was like, I like this so much. Can I have more? Whoa, Azalea. Like, sure. 
Um, and the Yaya Yaz played, I know, con- controversial figure. She's in my orbit. That's all I'm going to say. Like, I'm going to leave this. I'm going to leave. I don't, I'm not going down this dark and then, path. Speaking of dark paths, Cruel World was like an older goth crowd. Cause it my was worst nightmare. Iggy fundamentally. Pop, um, Susie and the Banshees. I don't, I couldn't tell if you, if this was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or like Jeopardy, Call Your Friend something, if you looked at me right now and said, Liz Cully, name an Iggy Pop song, I would say, <laughs> I can tell you exactly what that guy looks like. He looks a, similarly to many like older hippie aunts of friends that I knew growing up in San Francisco, but that's rather here nor there. Actually, that is a really easy to picture. You wow. Know? But I couldn't tell you a single song that Iggy Pop, I couldn't tell you. But- but you would know them. I want to be your dog. You know that song. No, that sounds ridiculous. I want to be your dog. No, okay. It's no, no, no. But I can tell you every like deep R and B track like known to man. But that's it. You know what so, I mean? We all we all have a place in this world. Got me into pop. It's well, that's amazing. Do you think wine is inherently gay? Yes. Why? Because wine is art. Wine is like pleasure come to life. Um, and I feel like that's what being gay is. It's like not being afraid, being true, being authentic, being experimental and soaking in every single ounce of pleasure we fucking have in this life because there's so little of it. I don't remember how I met Krista. And if you listen to the Patreon episode, we kind of go into more detail there. Could have been in San Francisco. It could have been in LA. The fun thing I did when I first moved to Los Angeles is I would be out at a club. And this is like before Instagram or Instagram was like very small at this time. I would just add everybody on Facebook, which is like sort of cringy, but sort of awesome. And I just gave no fucks about it. And now my Facebook friends are just uh, hundreds thousands of strangers um all these queer women i'm like who the fuck are these people and i'm like oh yeah i met you in a club but krista's one of them and you know her perspective getting into the industry and creating wine as a queer black woman is so different than kristen's which i love but there are also some overlapping similarities there i can't imagine like living in northern vermont making wine and so It's really interesting to talk to her about how she got there, where she is, and also like geek out on how you even make wine. You live literally in the northernest part of Vermont, which is wild. I have watched your journey from the internet unfold. And I remember several years ago, I don't know if it was an article or something that you posted. And I was like, damn, she just like, went and started a whole ass vineyard and is making (laughs) wine. And I think, you know, it's daunting to kind of ask or to answer the question, like, how did it all happen and how did it all start? But I am genuinely curious, like, talk me through how you started a vineyard and your own wine. It's not for me, a wine, a full self-proclaimed wino. It's my dream. But I'm also don't know. If I could handle, I mean, it just seems 
very under the Tuscan sun vibes. And I need to know <laughs> how it all happened. So after we allegedly met during that era, so that's like mid 20s, late late 20s, I was truly in search, I think now I would say purpose. And at the time, my aunt's husband was a firefighter in um, Sacramento, um, in the suburbs side of Sacramento. So I went back to the Bay Area with pursuing to become a firefighter. So gay. That's so gay. (laughs) I mean, also, I have to tell you, this this girl that I grew up with, I now looking back on it, I was so in love with her, like my whole Mm -hmm. life. Like our we were our we were family friends. And she is a San Francisco firefighter. Oh really? God, she's fine. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and her wife is fine. And they have a brand new baby, but she is like so I don't want to say her government name because like I'm sure she yeah. didn't like that. But woo, love me a firefighter. Who doesn't want to fuck a firefighter? Just saying, that especially a lesbian one. I, I couldn't agree. That's probably possibly like my pursuit of it was that too. But okay, so know. you you went to go put out flames, <laughs> and then what? Happened? Yes, and then and so my aunt, who's like you know I'm the oldest of seven, and my aunt's like my older sister type of thing. So she knew I was just in search of something. So she also was like, oh, hey, um, Beepa, it's family friend, my, uh, says that there's a job opening at Constellation Brands in Madeira. And my first thought process was, is like, I don't want to be moving back to Fresno, which is like Fresno's 30 minutes from Madeira, which I'm originally from is Fresno. But it was as a logistic coordinator. And basically it was, I mean, I guess, I guess we say this is nepotism. I had like, I had an in to get this interview and I had, I guess still do have so much confidence. So like, if I take this interview, I know I'm going to get the job and then that's going to be the path. So either I'm going to continue this path to go to firefighter or I'm going to go entering into wine. And at that point in time, I was by no means like a, you know, wine was around and my mom had, you know, food and wine and uh wine spectator and, Bon Appetit and all the, you know, I was aware of it. And my grandparents, my mom loved wine, but I was, it was never, it was not in my plan to become a winemaker or even interest. But I actually can't pinpoint what the interest was. I think it was just the fact that it was, I was just curious, curious. I'm like, what the hell? And so I took the interview and I, you know, lo and behold, as I predicted, I got the job. And it was then when I getting the job, because I was basically the middle person between the winemaker the cellar, the lab. And I was fascinated because growing up in Central Valley, you know, I went back to visit my, I grew up, I was partially raised with my grandparents. I was, I grew up in front of a fucking vineyard from actually a gallo tank farm. And I always thought, you know, as a kid, I thought it was just cows that I was smelling, but I was actually smelling fermentation. I don't know that now, but it was right in front of me literally the whole time. And I think subconsciously that was painted when this you know, opportunity presented itself. But I realized, like, I'm not learning anything about viticulture. I'm not learning anything about how grapes are grown. And I'm just, like, innately just a curious person. And so I'm like, I now, this is like after a year and a half working on the corporate end of it. And for context, Constellation Brands, like, own, you know, they bought out Robert Madavi's private selection when they end up splitting that brand. But they also own Modelo and Pacifico. So, and then, like, when you go to the grocery store, they own probably, like, 50 percent of those brands like sky uh, vodka i think they also yeah, exactly, own. They, constellation exactly. brands is like massive 
It is, yes. And so I got to a point that like, I am so curious. I now understand the inner workings of, you know, for the most part, winemaking and the process of winemaking, but there's a, I'm not understanding truly the connection with viticulture and the farming aspects is all, but farming is all around me. So I decided to then, there's a thing called work away, kind of like, I don't know if it's still around work away, then after the woofing, you know, you work in exchange for like, you, you get to, they don't pay you. you live but you get to like live there. You. Yeah, they like feed yeah, you. Yeah, in exchange yeah, yeah. for that. So I did that in the state of Washington. And it actually, the work of the same type of varietals that grow here in Vermont, which became full circle. Uh, and then from there, I'm like, okay, I need to go. You know, you know I, I think I need to go to Italy and France. I think that's like the next path because I'm going to learn. I'm going to go to what, you know, what I perceive as like the path that you go. Uh, and for some reason, it didn't dawn on me to stay in California. But it, it, I was like, I need to go to Europe. And so I set up woofing workaways in Italy and then the south of France and then while I was in the south of France. Also, no, all doing, I was tasting. I was going to what is now known, what ordered air, which is, uh, you know, one of the most well-known natural wine bars in the Bay Area based in Oakland. And I didn't know at the time I was drinking, quote, unquote, natural wine, which is now, you know, and I was immersing myself in something that, I didn't realize what I was doing until I was doing it. It was just, so when I got to the South of France, I was working with, I ended up being paired with an organic grower who is making wine as we label as natural wine. And then I'm like, okay, I, I think I'm in love. And I think this is what I want to do. And I'm it like, only uh, took you I going don't... to the South of France, working at an organic <laughs> natural wine vineyard. <laughs> Where in the South of France were you? Power. Did you say, where say it one more time? Kaur. Kaur. Where C A H is off off the Lot River. It's like um not that far from the Languedoc region as wow. well. Cool. Yeah. And it was there that I'm like, whoa. Okay. I'm like, so I'm like, okay, these are the paths I could go. So one, I'm never ever going to I knew I wanted to grow my own groups and be a winemaker at that point in time. I'm like, I don't come from money. That's not gonna happen in California. So no matter where I pursue when I get back home. I'm going to look to get a job to be an assistant winemaker with someone that I could potentially be okay with growing um, and being becoming a grower and winemaker. So I purposely started looking outside of California. Why? And Why do you say like, you can't do it not, in California? You can do it, but you're not going to own, I mean, the, the amount of money that's needed to acquire, like, for example, I'm at 56 acres here, 56 acres in the yeah. growing regions in California, besides, you know, outside of the Central Valley. For the most part, is not something that I. Yeah, know, it was just I, not affordable. Yeah, right, right, and I and so I was looking for places basically, and I would say predominantly any grow region outside of California. At least there's you know there's more affordable routes to go um, because, yeah, and so that opportunity. So I and and then I'm like, if that doesn't work out, then I'm going to, then I was just going to possibly go back to conservation brands and just go up the. And try to grow up the corporate ladder, but I went to first like become system winemaker for a one. They had to be growing, um, either growing or transitioning and growing organically, and then also working in a way that's minimized the preservatives. Uh, that does that you know, stop minimal a hangover inside the winemaking? Clear oh, up a rumor. Hangover is something hangover is drinking water and and not drinking more than you you should. Uh, there, okay, I mean, well, there's more. But does, there's more. There's there's more sulfites and, and if you're eating dried fruit and you're not getting headaches left and right, then you can handle 
drinking wine with sulfites in it. It's, it's there's a there's a there's a misunderstanding. Like more, it's, I mean, because sulfites is a preservative, but there's I mean, granted, the FDA allows hundreds of other additives that you could add to wine with, in, without having it on the like having a nutritional label. So Lord knows, but. I, first and foremost, is like, how much are you drinking? And are you hydrated? Okay, well, that wasn't the answer I was looking for. <laughs> I, the, know, but I know, I know. No, but you did, you cleared it up. You cleared it up, this like ridiculous <laughs> rumor that if it's like sulfate-free wine, you're not going to get a hangover. And I'm like, that's just that's, not that fucking not true. Accurate. You need yeah, to eat that's... some carbs and exactly. drink some water and like probably exactly. chill your and then reduce your portions too. you know if you're drinking a ball and a half and you do not expect to have a hangover the next day you're not hydrated and well fed and Doof. you know have good sleep hygiene and all those things okay 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 so you come <laughs> back to america and you set your sights on working with an organic vineyard or at least a vineyard that you you know what I mean that you have yeah, seen now a, in France aligned with my like with my growing my making my deals and then I at the time I was in a relationship too they broke up with me because I went off to Bali with my friend first of all so, I'm glad she <laughs> broke your heart because then you went and you did your yes. fucking eat love pray and you became a winemaker that's that's exactly what happened so a, a winemaker that I was aware of um, was in town for a wine fair and I was like, you know, this is the person who I ideally would want, uh, who I would want to work with. This is like the dream person I want to work with. And I remember laying in bed. I knew that they were going to be, pour- they were going to be pouring that day. And I was like laying in bed, depressed and sad. And then I was able to like, be like, you know, what the fuck do I have to lose? I like pep up myself. Like, and I took all that sadness and I took all that energy and reversed it into like, I am going to like just put it all out there and ended up talking to this person for three hours, asked if I could go out there and work with them. And I ended up turning and then they said, we could just connect it. Um, and they said, yes, on the spot, you, we would love to have you come out. Um, but then I didn't hear from them for like three months. And so I'm like, yeah. And so I, but my, I had already like got started subletting my apartment. I was already oh, like boy. being prepared to go on this trip. And I'm like, fuck. So I went back on worked away. And then I found a grower in Texas and Mason and Mason, Texas, about an hour and a half outside of Austin. And they're in the harvest there, growing season ends and harvest there is end of July. Harvest starts there in July, early August. And I was supposed to be heading to Vermont on end of August and then harvest to go through. That's end of growing season. Harvest starts September, October. So I said yes to dan and in texas with the hopes that i would hear from logger Gista. and then she ended up messaging me i still took the started working in texas i ended up with a job offer a job offer at a winery there and then i didn't, didn't think i was going to get a job offer with in vermont i was just going out there just to have it like just to be able to work a season with her in stodge and so the plan was like i was going to go stodge and come back to texas to be got a system winemaker job Vermont ended up giving me Logger well, and giving me a job offer. And then I'm like, fuck, what do I do? I decided to stay in Vermont, but I still my, my first vintage is actually Western Texas. And then I decided then I'll do I'll treat Texas as my southern hemisphere, Vermont's my northern hemisphere. So I did actually a whole year cycle of doing that. And then I got an opportunity to manage my own vineyard and leave Logger Gista. So I thought it was gonna be Logger Gista for five years. But all these opportunities started presenting themselves to me. 
I made my release, technically my second vintage, I guess. And then that landed me and wine enthusiasts top 40 and 40 winemakers and it kind of like, and it never looked back from there. Um, You said that your first wine you named Jungle Fever on purpose and it was intentional, which I love. Yes. Um, Another wine that I loved, first of all, your site is beautiful. I wanted to tell you. All the labels are so beautiful. I want to talk about how you select or how you work with artists in a second. But other wine names are Mea Culpa, Lust for Life, and a real favorite of mine, Poetic Justice. Thank you. How do you, I mean, wine to me feels like it can be intimidating, stodgy, cis white men, like old French dudes walking around telling you to like, you know, smell the cut grass and the tobacco and the like leather. Is it through the names and through the artists that you work with, you insert your life and background? And if that's true, how is it perceived? Like you, I mean, you see me, everything that you just glean is accurate. So I, just like going back to like stating like my process, like coming from my, my philosophy of winemaking, that then translates to the, the first, the name of the wine. So the wine will, for me, tasting it, my whole process of making it, then influences what I'm going to name it. And I pull from, you know, what culturally, whether it be music, books, like Lust for Life. I love that song by Lana Del Rey. I don't care if, I don't know, people, some people don't like Lana Del Rey. I do. I love her fucking music. It's and, your fucking I, wine. <laughs> exactly. You can name so it whatever that, the fuck you, know, you and want. I, and I was really, you know, and like Quote of Justice, of course, that's that's a double entendre between Tupac and Kendrick. And um, you know, I had a wine that's and uh anyway, so yes, that's influencing literally what happened in that last year or what's going on in my life during that moment when that wine is ready. And then I then tell that so I usually am I'm a fan of the artist and I reach out to them and I particularly for towards looking for women, queer, people of color, have I been always the artists that I've worked with. And I've been a fan of them and I'll reach out to them. Like I'm a fan and I would love for you to, if, you know, commission you to, to do my wine labels. And I, because I'm a fan of you, I want the, I'm going to tell you the story of why it's named, like, the, you know, the process that I made the wine, why it's named that. And through your medium, and how you typically express yourself, express the story through that. Because I'm not, and I'm like, and I've never had to like, like once we, and it's a very intimate interaction. And I've never, and, and every label has came out exactly, you know, it represents them as their art, as an artist and an artist while also representing me as an artist. And it comes together in that marriage. Jessica Petway, like the working with her was a fucking dream. And the pilot developed my favorite, some of my favorite labels. And that's what Product Justice and Carver, yeah, for life. That series of labels, that 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 project was, she just nailed it. Uh, I mean, not that I'm like not, not to compare it to other people I've worked with, but that was like probably one of my favorite. I have the bottles here on the property as uh, actually, and I'm creating posters out of them too, because uh, that was so pretty. They're gorgeous. But yeah, it's all, I'm very I'm very intentional. Everything that I do is my way of, you know, I even more than as a farmer and a winemaker, I think I'm I just I'm a, I see myself more as a creative. Yeah. I know how to make wine. I have a, I have a, apparently I have a good palate. I know how to make wine, but I do not, I don't know how to do tasting notes at all. I wouldn't like, I actually have to have my friends that are Psalms or people who have a better palate, do not better palate, better way of utilizing descriptors to help me when I have to speak about my wine. Cause I don't know how to, I know 
I could sit up here and, and, and gab all day about the process of making it and why I made those decisions. But other than I wouldn't be able to tell you like, you know, it tastes like leaves of grass or something. I don't, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know how to do that. I, and I actually like that about me. What do you want to see more of in the wine community that you don't see? What a question. Um, it, I, I mean, I guess it would just be seeing more people who, and it just like, I would like to see just some more nuance, more wine coming from an, a nuanced palette of people. So of course, and I just like, I'm trying to avoid the use word diversity because I like, but I want to see more wine being made by more people of color and more women and more people who have different identities because thus they're going to be entering and creating it from a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, that's the whole point of why you want things to be diverse is because you're coming in from a different perspective that you're going to create something different. Your thought process is going to be different because how you move through life is different. And I truly do think that that's, especially when you're doing something that's creative, which wine is, you're going to have different expressions and we're all, yeah, at the end of the day, we're all fermenting, doing the same thing. But I, as a, I'm so, I'm a winemaker, but I'm a consumer. And so I myself want to, have some fun when I'm having options of what to taste and people doing an opportunity to cool shit. And I, I've been given the opportunity to do that. And I think I've made a, a mark and, and had something to say through my expressions. So imagine if there were, you know, the industry was not speckled, but actually truly a full representation of that, then I think that would just lead to us having better wine, honestly, or at least options. Yeah. Is wine gay inherently? Oh, yeah, it's gay. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I love the concept of everyday topics or, you know, things we do all of the time and bringing to light different individuals and their stories who work in either in those industries or um, are a part of that culture. Um, Definitely check out Zafa and Nomadica. And also, I always want recos on wine. I love like a big body red, crisp white. So, Drop me a line on Instagram and my DMs, on the Patreon. And like I've said at nauseum, check out the Patreon. Full episodes are there. And because it's pride, could you do me a favor? If you haven't been so kind as to rate, like, and subscribe to my podcast, please. It really, really helps. I It sounds so cringy for me to beg for it, but I'm being told I need to ask for it more. So... Don't be homophobic. (laughs) I'm just kidding. And subscribe to the podcast. Anyway, um, have a very safe and happy June.